You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Welcome to the San Jose Hockey Now podcast, your trusted source for all things San Jose Sharks on the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Floor. Joining me, as always, is Editor-in-Chief of San Jose Hockey Now and new NBC Sports affiliate, Shang Pang. Shang, how you doing? Big man on campus coming through. We're going to see you on TV. How's it going, man? Uh, pretty good. Uh, yeah, I was uh, pretty uh, uh, surprised with that intro from uh, Randy Hahn and uh, Brett Hedekin yesterday. So that was that was pretty cool. Yeah, my uh, my wife was staring down at her phone. My son was uh, playing Mario Kart on the Nintendo Switch, and we heard uh, welcoming new member of the NBC Sports team, Shang Pang, and then like both of our heads shot up. I was like, oh, it's him! It's him. It was just a little <laughs> moment. So. Um, you know, we're, I just wanted to quickly say, I've told you this privately, you know, just wanted to congratulate you on the record, officially recorded. Um, all the hard work that you've put in is what gravitated me towards you for my first interviewee uh, for the Stick Hungry podcast and continuous guest and just the the support and the fan base's just attraction to your work isn't just because you're a cool dude and you have a cool dog it's because you do really good work shang so it it goes without you know saying that you obviously deserve this because they wouldn't have brought you on obviously um but i I, you know just congratulations i'm I'm proud of you shang i'm proud Well, uh, thank you uh, so much. Uh, really appreciate that coming uh, from you. Uh, but yeah, you need to stop with that, or I'll get a puffed-up head. Uh, <laughs> good thing though is I do have a cool dog, and you know, you said that uh, you and your wife uh, saw when uh, they introduced me on the broadcast. Uh, my wife and dog were taking a walk, so. <laughs> <laughs> so. They're like, all right, we're out of here. Exactly. Go. Yeah. So exactly. So we're way cooler than you still. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we I bet we I, we better get into the actual hockey talk here before people just push pause or stop and decide to listen to a different podcast. <laughs> um, really quick before we jump into the summary of the episode, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at SJ Hockey Now Pod. You can follow the network at Hockey Pod Net, and you can follow myself, uh, a non NBC Sports affiliate at Nick Floor underscore Shang. Where can they find you? At uh, Shang underscore Pang and all my work at San Jose Hockey Now and some of it at NBC Sharks. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> so on this week's episode, Shang and I dive into who we think the Sharks should keep or send packing. We have a little should they stay or should they go uh, episode here once the veterans Everybody. make their return. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. Everyone goes. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Um, uh, once the vets make their return from COVID protocol, or should they all stay? Ooh, it's cryptic. I guess you got to keep listening to find out the answer to that question. <laughs> Afterwards, Shang, in an exclusive one-on-one interview, sits down with Russ Cohn, 
who covers prospects for EP Ringside and Sirius XM Radio, the NHL Network Sirius XM Radio. And he, uh, he basically tells you why the Sharks made the right move by sending William Eklund back to the SHL. So you, you debated that with him specifically because uh, we obviously believed our little hive mind here on the San Jose Hockey Now podcast uh, that we thought Eklund was better off staying with the club. And, uh, you know, Russ made a really – I listened to it. Russ made great points, and I'm excited for the listeners to be able to to hear what he's talking about, and maybe we'll level off that argument. So first, jumping into the Sharks talk, current Sharks talk, because technically he's in your garden, William Eklund, that is. The Sharks Goodbye, current COVID – yeah. <laughs> Where's that like sad violin rain background just pouring in? Um, current Sharks uh, players in COVID protocol. And um, correct me if I'm wrong here, Shang. We have Eric Carlson, Jake Middleton, Redeem Shimak, and Mark Edward Vlasic. That rounds out the defensive players. And then for offense, we have Matt Nieto, Timo Meyer, and Kevin LeBanc. Uh, they are all scheduled to be coming off protocol by uh, Friday when the team practices in Denver. Uh, Bob Bugner uh, will be off of it too. Uh, we spoke with Bob today for the first time since October 29th. The, that was the, the day before the outbreak. And Bob told us a uh, really tough story about how when he tested positive, his parents were actually visiting and his parents uh, from uh, Canada. And once he tested positive, he sequestered himself in a hotel. Uh, his parents got tested, you know, made sure they were negative, and now his parents, uh, thankfully, are safely back in Canada. Uh, but anyway, you can read that story at San Jose Hockey Now, uh, written by uh, Michael uh, Gutnick, uh, who is my new uh, Sharks and Barracuda writer. And anyway, uh, you should uh, read that story because it kind of tells you about sort of the human side of all this. You know, we're going to be spending the next half hour or so talking about players and whether they should stay or go. But man, you know, when you hear a story like that, that's a that's a that's a tough one. But glad to hear that Bob and his parents are okay. Yeah, and um, Bob went on record to say, you know, thank God vaccines work, and. We've all been in that situation. Just recently, my wife and I and our son tested positive. And um, we had recently been around my mother-in-law, who has pre-existing health conditions. Um, ones that would, at, you know, I'm not going to obviously go into discussion about. But she was within close contact with us, our family being fully vaccinated. Um, luckily, like Bob said, vaccines work, Shang. So... Uh, she did not test positive. She had no symptoms, and she uh, is healthy to this day. And, yeah, putting that human side of this whole game, essentially, is what this is, uh, the hockey game, putting the human aspect into things. We, we're not, we don't get to do that every day and it be a positive thing in a sense. Um, but I, I'm happy that Bob's parents are, are healthy and are well, and I'm happy that the uh, Sharks players are healthy you know, coming out of COVID protocol. And I'm, I'm glad we're going to be able to move on with this, not only on the hockey side, but as you said, on the human side. So um, getting Can into I share those a funny players. story actually about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Please, please, go, please. Go on. Uh, a couple of days ago at uh, the Sharks practice facility, 
they had practiced at 10 a.m. in the morning and then they they flew out. Uh, this would be let me get let me get my days right because uh, a lot's been going on. So okay, on Monday they they practiced and then they flew out to to uh, to Calgary later that afternoon. So uh, Curtis Pashoka and I are still sitting in the Sharks uh, media room at the practice facility. It's a small room that overlooks the practice ice. The Sharks have practiced at 10 a.m. It's about 1 p.m. We're still there working, you know, chugging away at whatever story we're writing, right? I look down and I see Timo Meyer uh, walk out of the locker room in his full gear. <laughs> the first thing he does is he looks up in the media room to see if we're seeing him. <laughs> <laughs> because I think, obviously, they would have preferred if nobody was there and Nobody saw them, you know, out there skating together and all that stuff. You yeah. know, they just, you know, it's probably just more comfortable. Um, we're actually not allowed to, to uh, uh, the, the, the rule right now, at least at the moment with all these players in protocol, is that uh, we're allowed to be in a media room, but we're not allowed to, like, sit out in the stands. If you're familiar with the Sharks ice practice sheet, you know, it's basically the the rink and then it's uh, it's a bleachers. It's a it's a rolls of bleachers, maybe fitting a couple hundred people or something like that. We're not allowed to even be in a bleachers, even though that's a distance from the from the players. You know, whether or not it makes sense or not, immaterial. But anyway, so Timo looks up. He sees us. He goes on with his day, kind of. Uh, Kevin LeBanc comes out, uh, Matt Nieto, Shimmick, Vlasic, Bob Bugner, come, uh, they come out. We don't get any text from Sharks PR like, hey, don't put this out there, whatever. So we just go ahead, you know, because, again, it's not that big a deal. The, you know, this means that they're healthy. This is this is good news. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, I had timed a restroom trip. Uh, and if you know anything again about the the layout of of this of of the the the, the media room, you have to cut out through the the bleachers to get to the restroom. There's no restroom in that little media room, and so I was stuck there for an hour, uh, you know, hold, holding my little boy pants here, <laughs> while while, while uh, Timo Meyer and LeBanc and Carlson and Middleton are I'm sorry, not Carlson Middleton, Shimmick and Vlasic. Nieto and Bookner are, are are skating around, you know, getting getting it together. Maybe their first skate, you know, since since COVID. But I just thought all that was funny. Just the the, the moment that Timo walks out and he looks up, like, hey, who's there? Ah, dang it, they're still here. <laughs> this is supposed to be undercover. <laughs> Meanwhile, you're like, oh, god dang it, now I can't go to the exactly. bathroom. <laughs> Equal levels of pain shared between exactly. Shane. You know, if, if Timo was upset, I was a little upset too. So <laughs> maybe you can tell him that in a post game when he scores a hat trick here on the uh, when they come back from their Canadian trip. So um, you know, but and again, before we get into our uh, talk about these younger players, I forgot to note the date. We are recording this November tenth at ten thirty at night. I'm rounding down, but um, <laughs> November tenth. So, so all the information we're working with, if you're listening to this uh, after the game, um, after Thursday's game, or if you're listening to it on the weekend, or, or you know, just note that that's when we're recording this. So you can't go on Twitter and chastise me for bad takes. We just got so, one more day of charcuta, and then the, the reaping begins. Yeah, charcuterie, as Randy said. I love that one. Uh, so let's get into it. We've been jibber-jabbing enough over here, so... <laughs> 
the first one, and I got a funny story about this guy too. I'll tell you after we talk about him. Uh, Jonah Gadjevich. Okay, we're going by position here first. Yeah, yeah. So we're starting with forwards, alphabetically by forwards, and then we're going to move to defense. So, front to back, Jonah Gadjevich, give us your uh, two cents, ten cents. What do you got for a shanger? Oh, uh, for myself, I think the skating is still really rough with him. I, I don't know if it is uh, NHL uh, quality or caliber, to be honest. Um, he lost 10 pounds over the summer. Supposedly, he's quicker. Uh, but <laughs> if this is the quicker, again, I'm not sure. And net front is supposed to be his prowess. But that skill hasn't stood out yet. And, yeah, that could be because of his teammates. He hasn't played with any high-skill guys. But a lot of times with guys who are on the fourth line, I don't really look at the circumstances around them. I want to see them stand out, whether they're playing with a rock or not the rock, but an actual rock. <laughs> Can <Nice>. you imagine <laughs> Dwayne Johnson on skates? Or oh, or man. Sidney Crosby. I want I want to see what they what they do. You know, when they have the puck. You know, if they're under pressure, what they do with it, things like that. And Jonah, unfortunately, hasn't really stood out to me so far. Um, you know, he's been physical. I'm gonna give him that. Um, He's had some, you know, all the, every, all every guy we, we're going to talk about here has had has had some nice plays. They wouldn't be in the NHL if they weren't capable of some good plays here and there. But uh, by and large, though, I have not seen um, I've not seen a, a a guy that is even a impact guy at a fourth line. You know, again, like I said, can't blame your circumstances when you're on the fourth line. There's a reason why you're there. So you got to stand out and skate your way out of it. And the next couple forwards that we're going to talk about, I think they have shown a little bit more, uh, a little bit more of that, uh, um, that energy, or a little bit more of that of that uh, will. Yeah, and for Jonah, it seems like the biggest thing that he's brought to the table so far is if uh, if someone hits someone too hard, he's the first man in the mix, which is something that you you want on your team but you're you're talking about a guy who was brought in and is supposed to be like you said he's supposed to stand out so for Jonah he needs to be able to pop on that fourth line like you said even if it's being aggressive on the the four check on that 212 four check because if you're going against the other team's fourth liners you know you're not going to you're not going to be out there on the fourth line going against top line guys more than half the time so for Jonah I would the reason why you would see him get scratched or or not be in the lineup for a guy like Nieto is because the intangibles are there the PK ability is there for Nieto right or the the ability to to beat guys to the puck on a dump you know, if you're trying to get a quick dump in, set up the four check, set up your possession there, maybe get it back to the defense, at least set something up. It doesn't seem like Jonah's legs, like you said, seem to translate to that NHL level. It seems like he's always getting beat to the puck, and then on those 50-50 battles, he's losing them in the sense, and then he gets frustrated. 
Yeah, um, well, there's no like comparison, I think, with uh, Gadjevich and a Nieto. Nieto is an yeah. NHL player. There's no two ways about it. He may yeah. not be the uh, first-line NHL player, but he's an NHL player through and through. Uh, Gadjevich has not proven that yet in his career, and I haven't seen it quite yet here. And, of course, uh, he is in a position of being uh, not waiver-exempt, and unlike, uh, like for example, uh, we're going to talk about a couple guys here who are emergency recalls, and so they can be sent right back down once the Sharks get healthy on Friday. Like uh, just for example, Jacob Magnet, for example, uh, mm-hmm. he was emergency recall because of the injury or the COVID protocol circumstances. Um, normally, he would be he would be put back on waivers and have to go through it, but in this case, he won't have to. Uh, Gadjevich was with the Sharks to start the season. Uh, of course, if you remember, he uh, the Sharks picked him up from the Canucks off waivers. So he's in a kind of a interesting position here. The Sharks are in an interesting position with him. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, it's tough. He can always be scratched at the end of the day. But, I mean, you're just taking up a roster spot at that point from a guy who could be coming in and being more useful. Um, well, they do have one less roster spot now up front with uh, William Eklund gone. So. <laughs> Great. Yeah, thanks for that. Thanks. I really needed that, Shang. Um, <laughs> uh, moving on, I, I guess I don't know exactly what I expect the Sharks, just as like a cap off for him specifically for me. I don't know if I expect the Sharks to send him down when push comes to shove. I think they're going to continue to roll those forward lines like you just uh, alluded to. Um William Eklund's no longer on the, on the roster. So uh, I am going to mentally put a Vander Kane where William Eklund is at In as Sweden? far as roster. <laughs> no. no, 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 not on the team. But, like, he's going to be rostered when his suspension's up. I would love for him to be sent to the SHN. <laughs> I'm going to mentally put a Vander Kane in that roster spot after the suspension's up, right? And he... He will not be in the lineup. He will be at home on the futon eating his uh, curds and whey. No, Can you imagine uh, the, the, the the GM of Jurgarden? Jurgarden? Hey, boys, uh, we're in last place here. But good news. Yeah. You've got Willie Mecklen back, and he's brought Evander Kane. <laughs> I don't know how they would react to that. Well, hey, you know what? That That's some instant goal scoring right there, so. Instant goal scoring, like instant oats, instant goal scoring in the SHL. Uh, But what I was uh, getting to (laughs) was that um, I'm putting Evander Kane in Eklund's roster spot, so I still would expect Gadjevich uh, to be rostered, but more than likely scratched unless an injury were to occur. Or you're saying you're you're not putting Kane in Eklund's roster spot, or you are? I'm yeah. Well, yeah, he's he's taking up like a spot on the team because they can't. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're gonna send him down. I don't know. I don't know how that's gonna work. No, All I'm I, saying. I, yeah, I think they might send him down. I never will report, but uh, they're just gonna bury him down there. That'll be my guess. But that sounds exciting. That's a whole other question. But, but yeah. end all be all, I think Gadjevich will more than likely be scratched uh, once they get the lines figured back out. They get players shuffled where they want to be, and uh, he will be that Melker Carlson guy that's going to get scratched every game until he comes in after a whoa, good practice. Well, yeah, don't uh, don't throw any dirt on Melker Carlson's name. 
Carlson. No, was, no, no. I, I, I love I say the this milkman. With full seriously, Carlson was was a much much better player. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I as, know. But as I'm as saying, unfortunately, as Milker was. <laughs> I loved the milkman. Okay. <laughs> I loved the milkman and when he delivered. I'm a milky type of guy, okay? So I'm just – I'm not comparing the players. I'm comparing the circumstance. Please, Shane. I thought you were about to shoot me through the freaking screen there for a second. Before I say any more damning comments and I get kicked off my own podcast, uh, we're going to move on to our next player, uh, John Leonard, who um, I have gone on to say that – and you don't agree with me on this as well – I want to see someone with a little bit more speed and and like stick handling skills per se off the rush on that first line. So I rec I was like theorizing, you know, pulling Benito back down to three C to put Leonard up on the a top six role, whether it be put like Balsers on the first line and then move Leonard down to the second. Um, that's just a, a theory for me. I thought the fit would be better, but there's a reason why I'm not an NHL coach. Um, but John, for me, has the exact same skill set that he brought last year. It it feels as though he his his passes to me from the eye test have gotten better. They're more tape to tape. It was less passing because last season it was a lot of passing to areas. Where now I've seen him in transition pass on time where the player's supposed to be. He's still fast. He's still John Leonard but he still needs to find a way to take it to a different level. And it shows likewise with Jonah Gadjevich where he's not necessarily sticking out. I, I don't even know the stats on him. I know he doesn't have a goal yet. So if he's going to be on the Sharks team, on the Sharks roster, he's got to be able to continuously establish that forecheck that the Sharks want to, to, to run, that, that heavy forecheck team. And he's got to be able to contribute shots on goal, which, in my opinion, he hasn't been able to do these last few games, regardless of the Sharks finding ways to win. Well, John, uh, I, I've liked him more than uh, Gadjevich. Um, the speed and shot are still there with John Leonard, obviously. And we've seen it. He's hit a couple posts here. Um, yeah. But, of course, the question with him is what else does he he offer you? And while I have liked him more than Gadjevich, um, I don't think that he's been uh, necessarily a keeper. He's a guy that the Sharks need to keep yeah. at, the, at the end of all this. I think he's a guy that could use a good month or two with the Barracuda and just kind of work out other sides of his game. Um, I think it was telling when... I th when Timo went into COVID protocol, and actually the first practice after Timo went in protocol, John Leonard was indeed practicing with Logan Couture and Jonathan Dolan, but they didn't keep him there. And I, th I think that should tell you kind of where they think at least uh, John Leonard's game is at. Um, yeah. I think they obviously want his upside on there. It's, again, the speed and shot are obvious, and you would hope in an actual game that both those things kind of uh, combine into something powerful along with other parts of his game. But again, I think the other parts of his game are still lacking enough that they opted to put Nick Menino up there, which was, I think, an unusual choice uh, that I, I, I wrote about. Um, yeah. But anyway, uh, I so I liked Leonard more than Gadrovich. I think he stood out more than Gadrovich has. Yeah. Um, 
in that, I believe that New Jersey game, that line, the, the Leonard, uh, Peterson, Gadrovich line was actually pretty good. Uh, credit to Gadrovich too. Who, you know, I know uh, we ne- don't necessarily think that he's the NHL guy, but he was part of that line too. But again, though, you you saw in that game and in some of those shifts, kind of that speed difference making speed and shot at times with John Leonard. But again. Yeah. Speed and shot, still there. They were there last year. But what else does he bring? Um, and I think that's a question that I think is best answered uh, with the Barracuda. Yeah, and one player that um, the Sharks have attempted to bring up to the NHL in multiple years in the past is a Noah Gregor, whose speed and shot were a signature of their game. But translating to the NHL level compared to an AHL level is uh, obviously a, a different animal. So it is yet two for John. Um, I expect to see him back down with the CUDA to get um, top-end minutes down there and continue to get work there as well as some power play minutes. Um, yeah, yeah. And if you think about uh, John Latrack, it's been so unusual. You know, he jumped from college to the NHL. That first game in Arizona during last year's COVID season, he scored a couple of points. Everybody was so excited about him. People were talking him up for the colder. Um. <laughs> I'm sure people were, and you know, if he had sustained that performance he had in that very first game, then he would have been in that conversation in the end. But he just yeah. couldn't kind of keep that going, and no, no fault to him. Um, again, you know that that talent is is there, but the, the track is weird though. You know, and he ended up in the NHL for most of the season. There's an argument that he would have benefited from being a Barracuda last season, but who else did the Sharks have? Uh, to yeah. to throw out there on wing, and so they just kept throwing John out there, and uh, you know he he got into a bit of a goal scoring slump there. Uh, you could tell he was frustrated at times, and it's a tough position for a young goal scorer to be in. Uh, you you're, you you want more of yourself, and the team needs more of you because last year's Sharks team obviously wasn't very good, um, but it was kind of an unfair position to put him in. And so anyway, he starts the year off with a Barracuda. Okay, you know, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe he can get his 17 minutes a night with a Barracuda. And, you know, a few games in the Barracuda season, what what happens to him again? He's yo-yoed back up the Sharks because the Sharks need him. Um, mm-hmm. So hopefully he can just get some consistency with the Barracuda and start putting up the numbers that I think uh, are fair to expect from him. I think the talent there is real, and I know the organization likes him. I think that he just needs sort of a little consistency of uh, where he's at and some good playing time. And he'd be a guy that maybe of all the guys who started off in the Barracuda, you know, guys like Gregor or Ryan Merkley or et cetera, et cetera, this season, all the guys who started with the Barracuda this season. Um, Leonard's a guy that I think maybe uh, by the end of the season could be a different player and could be more of an impact player for the Sharks. But Anyway, this kind of yo-yoing for him uh, can't be easy. Yeah, there's a deep dive from Shang into uh, into John. And me being a co-conductor of the John Leonard hype train last season uh, with Jeff Vacoon, seeing that, that frustration for John was a bit like a, a gut punch, and I'm sure it felt like that for him. So the Sharks fans and, and, and I myself want nothing more than to see John Leonard succeed uh, both at the AHL and the NHL level. So moving on to our next candidate for will they stay or will they go? Nick Merkley 
one of the Merkley brothers, no relation. Um, my thoughts on Nick are he's on the power play. He's going to stay on the Sharks. That's pretty much all I have. No, <laughs> Nick, Nick, brings a, uh, Nick brings a different level of game that we don't see. You know, if we, if we think about the last two forwards, Nick's game has been more well-rounded, in my opinion. He's got a, a pretty decent shot. He's in the thick of it all the time. He also, <clears throat> excuse me, got something caught in my throat back here. It must be my tears for William Eklund being in your garden right now. Um, but practices happen. And with Timo Meyer out, with Kevin LeBanc out, there were going to be players that needed to take over the roles for the power play. And I'm sure you probably know this more than I do, Shang. They probably cycled in a lot of different guys up on those those wings, essentially. And Nick Merkley has been the one to stick. Yes, the Sharks' power play has not been very good as of late. No shit. Timo Meyer and Kevin Ovechkin are not with the team. But the next best option, the next man up, has been Nick Merkley. And he has shown in different advanced analytics and, and hockey stat viz cards that he has the ability to play on the NHL level Granted, being surrounded by better players. So, in my opinion, Nick is probably one of the... And it's not a Nick bias. just want to point that out there. Uh, Nick is one of the few players that could be kept up on the Sharks um, as opposed and played as opposed to, uh, like, like we mentioned earlier, Gadjevich or John Leonard being sent back down to the CUDA to marinate. Okay, well, two things. Uh, he does not belong on an NHL power play right now. No, but, no, no, he does not. But <laughs> uh, the circumstances being what they were, I think it is a credit to him that he's the guy that they went through. Um, you know, in terms of actual practices, they didn't cycle through a lot of people, but I'm sure they discussed a lot of people. And one of the things I have seen with Nick, and maybe the reason why he's on a power play, is that he does have a patience with the puck, and he has shown ability to make the right next play, you know, get it to the next guy and put that guy in a good position. Um, and so that's an element that's actually important on the power play. Um, so I think that is why, one of the reasons why he did get, he did get that power play time. Uh, he won't be getting it soon uh, with Timo and LeBanc uh, coming off. But regardless though, so that's the one thing that I do not think that he should be on an NHL power play, of course, but that's not saying much. But the next thing I'm going to say, though, is is uh, not a backhanded compliment. Uh, he is the only keeper in this group, in my opinion. And mm. I know that's not very exciting. Uh, he, to me, Nick Merkley right now, is more of a fourth-line energy guy. But I've liked a lot of the elements of his game. Uh, like I said, his patience with the puck. Um, and I see him as a fourth-line energy guy who has a little more skill and creativity than the typical energy guy, which is good because every once in a while uh, in a tight game, you need a surprise play from your bottom six. And I think Nick Merkley is a guy that can actually supply that. Um, and a couple of scouts I've talked to, too, uh, just checking with them and just you know, cooperating what I've seen, they've liked him, too. And so I, I see of all the players here that we're going to talk about, 
you know, we talked about uh, Gadrovich and Leonard. We're going to get to your uh, Hatakas and Ryan Merkley's. Uh, the only one I, I think belongs uh, in the NHL on this Sharks team is probably going to be uh, Nick Merkley. So, and, oh, go ahead. Really quick, you said um, before you wrap up your Nick Merkley, I want to just clarify. You said he's the only keeper in this group. Did you mean group of forwards or both groups forwards and defense? Forwards and defense. Um, and when I say keepers, I don't I don't mean that you know trade you know trade Santeri Hataka. <laughs> but well, no, no, no. The yeah, only, that's, we're the just only, talking only about only guys that I, I he's the only guy that to me has cemented uh, NHL spot in my mind, and only on the fourth line, so he could lose it by tomorrow. <laughs> but but okay, um, I just wanted to clarify that really quick. Sorry. Sure, sure, sure. And um, anyway, the, the, the last point I'll, I'll, I'll make about Nick is you've seen sort of the upward mobility with him. Um, he came in, obviously, as emergency recall. He replaced Gadjevich in the second game versus Buffalo. Gadjevich was scratched in Nick Merkley's favor. And by the next game, uh, I think that was St. Louis, Nick Merkley is on your third line. And again, yes, just like being on a power play, Nick Merkley shouldn't be on an angel third line or a power play. But in these circumstances, he's the guy that they turn to. And he's yeah. given them good minutes, um, good minutes on the forecheck, uh, good energy, uh, good puck movement, a couple chances here and there. And... It's been pretty consistent, too. It hasn't just been one game. I remember I noticed him in the Winnipeg game, and I thought, wow, he's making a lot of small little plays under pressure that I would not expect out of a guy that started the season in AHL. Yeah, and um, in the situation that the Sharks are in where somehow they found a way to go 3-1-1 one, and one in uh, post-COVID games, essentially, the, the biggest thing is you're not calling these guys up to go out there and – I need you to go out there and make the big play, Nick. No. I need you to go out there and not F up. Just just play sound defensive game. Go out there, make the easy pass. The the, the quick one. Keep it well, simple. I would stupid. argue though with, with Nick Merkley that it hasn't just been the easy play he's made. He's made yeah. a few plays under pressure, uh, but he got it to the next guy that he needed to. And yeah. so just the easy play that 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 makes you maybe a typical fourth liner or are not above. But being able to make everyone once in a while the slightly better than easy play to take that extra beat with the puck. That's what gets you a little higher in the lineup or uh, gets you the guaranteed fourth line spot as opposed to am I going to play or not? Yeah, and that's kind of what I was was leading to is that's what I'm sure John McLean and the guys were going out there doing. We're going to limit damage, but then Nick Merkley goes out there and he's like, no, I'm actually going to create offense. I'm going to create chances with my skill set. He went out there with something to prove, and he's proven it so far. So that's just kind of what I was alluding to. So that wraps up the forward group here. And I see your little note here. I see it. Got your little note right there on the dock. Um, I'm gonna let you start off with this, and then we'll we'll transfer into or transition into uh, our our defenseman talk here because this pretty much sets it up. Well, as I said with Nick Merkley, I think Nick Merkley Merkley is the only call up, the only yeah, the only call up or young guy or a Barracuda guy or whatever that I think has cemented a spot in my mind in the Sharks lineup. Uh, come Friday, come Saturday when they play Colorado. 
Uh, yes, yeah, so that means that I think that Vlasic, 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 <laughs> that's and their new Sinek name. It's too late. <laughs> <laughs> should keep their lineup spots, and it's not because of the money they make, and it's not because they're brand names, especially Vlasic. <laughs> it's because I think overall they're still better than all the, f the defensemen that they've tried out, and I know, especially with Vlasic, everybody that they've tried out skates better than Vlasic right now, probably. But it's not just about that element of the game, you know. Um, so anyway, let's uh, run down the, these guys and talk about them a little bit. Yeah, to my uh, to to much dismay, that sound you're hearing are the Ryan Merkley truthers with their pitchforks and torches coming for your house, Shang. Luckily, you're moving, and they don't have your new address. So, <laughs> um, really quick, I've I've harped on Vlasic in the past. Those who have been with me since the stick hungry days knows that every time I brought up Vlasic's name, it was skating through molasses. Is kind of what I I would equate to, to Mark Edward Vlasic. His hockey brain is still there. His hockey legs are not there. So much like what you said, these guys all skated better or faster, but Vlasic's ability to play his role is still on a far superior level than our first contestant, Santeri Hatika. I'm getting better. I'm getting better at that, Shane. Can he skate? Yes. We've talked about it with Doug over and over. The kids can skate. Did he seem lost or caught off guard sometimes? Yes. It was very evident in his own zone. And something that I saw, um, I don't remember if it was specifically with Hatika or if it was with Malosh and Megna. All I remember is watching three consecutive failed D2D passes in their own zone with no pressure and it failing over and over and over. They literally receded back into behind the goal line and failed to get out of their, uh, just a clean defensive zone exit, which led to a scoring chance for Calgary. And I was just like, oh my God, send them back down now. I can't handle this. And it's like it's the, the simple little things like that just kind of tells you whether it's a chemistry thing, which it should not be a chemistry thing. They're borderline NHL players. Well, they're not borderline. They're AHL players. They're they're professional hockey players at this point that they need some conditioning. They need to be there, not just physically and not just skating-wise. They need to be there with their stick handling, with their puck handling skills, as well as uh, defensively. There's a lot of defensive zone breakdowns from a lot of these guys, starting with, Hataka. So that's just a couple of things that I pulled from him. Um, not anything in particular that I can say that I saw from uh, Hataka. I think I said Hataka. God damn it. I, I was doing so good. Um, but that's just kind of where I'm at. What about you, Shang? Yeah, um, I, I think... I think when you see the physical gifts, then you don't see the, the other stuff. And I think I mentioned this in the last podcast that I don't think he's a very good puck mover. And you saw that in the second period in Calgary with all of the defensemen. Uh, so f in fairness, not just Hatika, um, but when Calgary was on top of, of everybody and what were they doing? They were throwing grenades, you know, 10 feet away, you know, 
when when they shouldn't be, but Calgary was on top of them. They were feeling a pressure. Even when Calgary wasn't on top of them, you're probably thinking they're going to be on top of you. Yeah. And so you rush your pass. Um, or sometimes it's just unforced. You have plenty of time, but you just miss the pass because you still need to work on that. Um, yeah. So I think that's something that I, I see with him. I think, uh, like I said last week, I he think he's part of the future of the Sharks' defense, but I don't think it's this year. Yeah, Um I would expect them to send him down, actually. I know that he was with the club for a while as a scratch, and they were hoping to get him in on some action, and then bada bing, boom, bap, you got no choice, right? So now that you've seen him, uh, I, I think he's going to get some play down in the Barracuda as opposed to being a scratch up in the Yeah, NHL I'm not club. sure about that. I'm still tracking on whether or not he needs to be sent back to Finland. Um, if there's some agreement with that club there. Actually, I need gotcha. to get back on that. I was looking into that and then sort of uh, lost track of that. But I'm gonna get, I'll, I'll, I'll get back on that. But I think the final point, and I think you can say this about all these guys, so maybe I'm making this point too early, but um, you talk about Vlasic's hockey brain. Yes. Uh, Santeri uh, Hatika doesn't need to be uh, ever as smart a hockey player as Vlasic is. He doesn't need yeah. to be with his physical gifts. But you need to replicate so, like some percentage of it, you know. You yeah. need to get to like seventy-five percent of Vlasic's hockey brain, and then then you're the NHL, uh, something like that. Um, and I don't think Hatika is, is is there yet at even that percentage. And mm-hmm. so when you get to that percentage where you're processing much faster. Uh, you're not getting flustered by a very good team like Calgary when they're pressuring you, that sort of thing, right? Um, yeah. Then, th- you know, then 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 it sort of comes together, and then we see, okay, this guy is better than a Mark Edward Vlasic right now. Um, but again, I think uh, Hatika and a number of guys we're going to be talking about here are just too raw right now. Yeah, that's a that's a fair fair analysis there. I mean, honestly, or um, awful as a as a scout texted to me about. Hatika's performance yesterday. And it wasn't just uh, about, well, they were bad in the second period. Everybody was bad. Uh, the scout did like Nick Merkley, for example. So there was some differentiation of <laughs> of who he liked and who he didn't. But anyway. No, that's that's good insight. I mean, the more we, we hear from professional scouts, the more the eye tests kind of line up in the sense that we, like you said, they're too raw. And um, our next guy will probably be the, the shortest one that we talk about because since he only had one game, as you've noted here, Artemi Knyazev, who uh, may have the funnest name to pronounce, but uh, he's like a, a blank canvas right now for the Sharks and definitely needs to work out his own things. So I don't have any in-depth analysis. I can't tell you what he did wrong or right. It just didn't seem as if he was ready for for that that matchup for that yeah game. no just uh during the headlights uh, to me from what i uh, saw of him and but no uh dis, uh no discredit to him he's young he just needs time in a, in a barracuda yeah. he also is a big part of the future of the sharks defense a lot of people like him uh in the sharks and outside of the sharks so shouldn't even take anything negative uh, from his game it, it's yeah. it's he was present of duty when two-thirds of the Sharks' defense went on COVID. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah, and, so. and and we're not – and to for those listening, we're not here to take shots at these players. We're trying to analyze essentially how they played or how they have played thus far for the Sharks and whether or not they're going to stay. 
That's well, literally we're all. To be we're realistic too, you know, yeah. when the sharks go three one and one with with you know the charcuterie, and I think I think it gets people excited and it starts uh, people start projecting uh, these guys into lineup positions that over a whole season they're probably going to get exposed. And so that's what I would say about uh, virtually everybody. Oh, actually, everybody on this list. You know, as much as I like Nick Merkley, he's not yeah, a Nick. third liner long term. Um, yeah. I actually, and this this may surprise you. I've actually liked Ryan Merkley's playing a lot in a lot of ways. Actually, uh, oh, he's I'm actually so surprised me that. pleasantly in some ways. But he does not, in my mind, belong in NHL right now. That doesn't mean that he can't in the future, but. Right now, if you're serious about making the playoffs or at least making a push for it, um, even though you went three one and one with them, I don't believe that's going to last. Yeah. And so, and down the line with with everybody we're talking with here, trying just trying to give uh, the most realistic, objective assessment of these guys and see when the lineup is healthy and you get your obvious kind of uh, cream of the crop players back, like Eric Carlson and Timo Meyer and Kevin LeBanc. Um, if there's still a role for these guys. Exactly. Um, and to quickly cap off my Knyazov analysis, I believe there was one play. That's, uh, I was just thinking back to it. There was a nice play he made on uh, on a defender in the offensive zone, which is That's exactly true, yeah. what Knyazov has, has been known for. Second-round pick, offensive upside, um, left-handed shot, so I believe it was on the left-hand side. He absolutely faked this guy out, yeah, and he had that. a good, he had a good quality, grade. yeah, good quality chance. But then that was it. I can't recall anything else, and I'm not expecting anything of him. I'm just saying, that's all I got from him. Um, we group these two together. Sees, I, I see here our next two defensemen, uh, Jacob Megna and Nicholas Malosh. Um, I actually want you to start this one off. There's, a, there's a lot that went on with Megna and Malosh. I, I. Liked a little bit of Magna. Malosh was good, but wasn't all that great in in different facets of the game. Um, but I want to hear your side first, because then I'm going to start the next guy. Sure. Because uh, so Magna and Malosh, I, I I equate them because actually I think they skate fairly well and they're actually good defense. And you can kind of see that in how the Sharks have used them in terms of how they've been relied upon on the PK. The PK now with uh, everybody out, with Carlson uh, uh, out um, and uh, Middleton out, it's Burns Ferraro, and then it's Malosh and Megna on the PK. And so that speaks to kind of, uh, you know, where they are at in their game and how they are better, uh, better at just playing hockey <laughs> than uh, <laughs> Santeri Hataka uh, Hataka or Ryan Merkley, at least on the defensive end. And they've also played the most of all the defensemen in this group that we're talking about. Obviously, Burns and Ferraro have played the most minutes by far of any of these guys. But in the next layer of defensemen, if you look at time on ice, it's going to be Molosh and Magna. Actually, it's Molosh who's played the most. That, that might surprise some people, you know, because... Uh, Ryan Merkley, uh, Santeri uh, Hatika, they're more celebrated. You know, they're more uh, well-regarded, uh, a lot more, uh, lot more expectations on those two prospects. But it's actually Molosh that they've leaned on the most overall. Um, but again, uh, Molosh and Magna, 
the good things I've said about them, they're also held back by the same things that have prevented them from solidifying an NHL job uh, throughout their careers. You know, just little things, just, again, those puck plays, those little passes. Um, at NHL level, you know, instead of making that, easy at uh, that that pass they got to make easy or hard you know because NHL level the speed that things are at you got to make some hard plays um you know instead of making it 95 times out of 100 which uh NHL guy might do maybe they're making it 90 out of 100 it's not like they're they're awful they're you know that they're always making mistakes but they make a few more and yeah. we saw that a little bit in the second period uh yesterday it's Calgary when really the entire team <laughs> not just yeah. the defense uh the entire team short-circuited and there's those little 10-foot passes things like that and so those are the kind of things that i think will hold them back from sticking in the lineup but you know credit where credit is due though they are the two defensemen that and the most veteran of this group which kind of makes sense uh because defense isn't just about being uh, being faster or bigger than everybody else is also about being smarter, and so if got so if uh, Hadika has, I don't know, fifty uh, percent of uh, Mark Edward Vlasic hockey brain, you know maybe Magnus got a seventy five percent. He just doesn't have the physical tools that a uh, Hatika has. Um, but anyway, uh, so I think in the end they they go back to the Barracuda, but. They've certainly acquitted themselves well. And Milosh might be, uh, when the Sharks get healthy again, he might be the first call-up because, once again, he's the guy who played the most of this group, and I wanted to note that. Yeah, we just got to mush uh, Milosh and Hatika into one guy, <laughs> and you have your dream defenseman. Well, you know, I, yeah, it does say... You know, when Milosh was 20, and let's let's not let's not uh, take too much away from Hadika. Hadika is 20. Uh, yeah. When Milosh was 20, I think Hadika was ahead of him as a prospect, as a 20-year-old. Actually, yeah. Milosh was a second-round draft pick a long time ago. A lot was expected of him, and he didn't quite deliver. Uh, but Hadika, six-round pick, uh, I believe, and yes. Hadika is more than over over delivered on expectations for him for him to yep. even be in a position that he was in to start the the season with the team to be ahead of a you know pros more celebrated prospects like ryan merkley and artemi knyazev for a lineup spot hadika has been remarkable in that sense um so i i don't want to um I, I don't. I don't want to be too negative on him. He, like I said, he's a yep. big part of the Sharks' future on defense. Uh, I haven't seen anything that takes away from that. I just see a guy though that's raw and that's been put in it, like a lot of the Sharks' prospects we've seen over the last two years, put in positions that are they're not over their ready heads, yet. and yeah, it's not their fault. Yeah. yeah. And so again, remember Hadika uh, is, or maybe I remind myself because I've been saying I've been saying some stuff about him. He's only twenty. And it's remarkable that he made the team out of camp. That's a testament to a lot of his talents, uh, physical talents. And again, uh, and I said this last week, I think the stuff he needs to work on is stuff that every 20-year-old needs to work on and is the easiest to kind of improve on. Yeah. And so in no time, uh, I, th I think he should be a big part of the Sharks' defense. Yeah, and um, 
We covered him very much in the preseason as well, like you he said. He was my number five prospect, I think, in my top ten list, too. Oh, so. yeah. Make sure you guys go back and listen to that. <laughs> Shane gives his uh, his best prospects. And you ranked him above Ryan Merkley. So. I did. I did. And it, like you said, it's all falling in line. So that's just uh, that's just the way the, the cookie crumbles in this sense. So uh, no disagreements from me as far as those statements goes. I agree completely. He's 20 years old. Um Sharks fans, temper your expectations for 20-year-olds. Come on now. Get real. You got to understand that if if you can think about it from a football perspective, there's a lot of Bay Area fans like we you know, may have liked the Raiders before they transplanted or, or San Francisco 49ers fans. Think of the three to four years that those players um, play in the collegiate level and they get to 21 and 22 years old to be – decent to play into the NFL you got to think of uh, like a Hataka as a sophomore in college at this point so at that so for him to be at that level it just shows how great he has progressed since his draft year for the Sharks but uh, do but, uh but don't temporary expectations for 19 year olds William Eklund should be here yes <laughs> <laughs> Not according to Russ, but we'll get to that again later. We're coming up on that here pretty soon. Um, but our uh, our last defenseman that we wanted to talk about, and I wanted to kick this one off because um, a roller coaster ride these last five games have been for him. Uh, Ryan Merkley, uh, we just spoke about him. I texted you my quick thoughts a couple hours. Like, was it an hour ago? I, don't, I lose track of time when I do this. Um, I texted you my quick thoughts on Ryan Merkley. Uh, very confident with the puck in the offensive zone. Much more confident after his first NHL goal, by the way. You could just see that moxie. It's just like he hit the turbo boost level with confidence, and then he just started making Buffalo Sabres players look like Buffalo Sabres players. And um, he had a bit of a hiccup against the powerhouse that is St. Louis couple of really bad defensive plays, which has been Ryan Merkley's biggest caveat to to his upside, has been his tremendous downside defensively. And it showed. And the, the defensive play that he had in the St. Louis game got better against the Calgary or against the Flames, not so much in the second period, but the Sharks were not so much good defensively in, in the second period. That's bad English, but they were just absolute trash in the second period of that game um but you continue to see his confidence with that puck in the offensive zone continue to make really good plays quick shots uh, i saw less fake outs he likes to do that little pump fake where he does the fake shot and then tries to go around the uh the the forward that's pressing up on him but you're not going to be able to do that in the nhl level effectively as much you need to get the shot off quickly and he did that towards the end of uh the, the calgary game so it for me it's it's good things to see him confidently be able to translate that offensive gameplay yeah he wasn't putting up a ton of points per se but confidently translate that gameplay over uh, both on the power play and on that right-hand side, that right-hand defensive zone quadrant. And uh, he did better defensively in the Calgary game than prior to the, the St. Louis game, as I said. Uh, but he still needs to go down, and he needs to get top-line minutes to continue to work on his game, which is my biggest 
my specifically my biggest thing for why he should go back down to the AHL. Yeah, he's probably the most fringe NHL prowess or or like pedigree leveled defensive prospect for the Sharks, as, as some believe. Um, but he still needs to work on his game, and the best way to do that is to get top power play minutes, top ice time down in the AHL. Allow him to continue to develop. We're on a we're on a reset, guys. Like we need to continue to allow these guys to get the most ice time that they can get, and he's not going to get that as the I believe he was technically the third defensive pairing with Jacob Megna, and you see those those minutes go down significantly for Ryan as opposed to if he were playing in the Barracuda. And who knows? Like I said, after his first game, now you've got tape. Now you have that experience in the NHL. Maybe all you need is that little tiny bit of action to kick your motor into high gear to now go down to the AHL and do what Bob wants you to do and dominate uh, the AHL for the Barracuda. And, yeah, since uh, we just brought up uh, Merkley, uh, to compare him to, oh, I'm sorry, uh, an Eklund. <laughs> yeah. Uh, since we brought up an Eklund, and to compare him to a Merkley, um, Eklund, uh, William was still getting, I think, important minutes in AHL. He wasn't getting 18 minutes, first-line minutes or anything like he'll get yeah. at your garden. But he was getting a pretty solid 14, very good power play time. Ryan Merkley won't get anything like that uh, when everybody's healthy. Uh, he, or, he already was kind of not getting it already. Uh, he was getting some good power play time, but that's going to evaporate when Brent Burns and Eric Carlson are healthy. And yep. so that kind of uh, lends itself to your argument there, uh, Nick. Uh, but I'm going to uh, kind of uh, uh, play devil's advocate on it a little bit. I've actually been pleasantly surprised overall by uh, by Ryan's play. I'm not going to get too much into the defense. Um, that one, that part is still quite quite rough, and so I don't I don't I don't want to spend too much time uh, bashing him for it because I've already yeah. talked about it enough over the last uh, couple of months. Uh, I will mention one point about it though, just to kind of. Uh, 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 just to put a, I guess, uh, to put one exclamation point on on it though, on his defense, uh, the game that Kinyaz have played, uh, I found it uh, noteworthy. I think that's the St. Louis game uh, when Magna went into the box, and that leaves Burns, Ferraro, and Malosh as your primary penalty killers. The Sharks had to choose between Ryan Merkley or Artemi Kinyazev for the PK, and. Like I said, uh, Kanyazev looked in his Angel debut a little bit uh, deer in the headlights, just uh, what you expect for a 20-year-old. Uh, but the Sharks still put Kanyazev over Merkley on a PK. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that kind of that tells you a little bit about where Ryan's uh, defensive game, even if uh, Ryan doesn't have, uh, you know, Ryan has a little more, a lot more of the poise uh, than Kanyazev right now at this level. Um, but tells you where Ryan's offensive game is. Anyway, uh, that said, though, he has been very good with the puck. And not just good for good for a Barracuda player, good for, you know, uh, good, good for a, a, a guy pressed in the service out of nowhere. He's been legitimately good with the puck. 
uh, when he keeps it, that is. There's been a couple times those end-to-end -end forays that lead to nothing with the puck, him losing the puck, or he does overkeep and overhandle at times. But that can be kind of, uh, you can learn not to do that. And uh, I think that it's part of what uh, Merkley has been learning down there with the Barracuda. But he's made a number of high-end offensive plays. He is legitimately good with, a with, with the puck at an NHL level. He mm -hmm. is. Uh, that that's that's what I've seen, and I didn't know he would be that uh, at this level. Certainly didn't think that last year, uh, with his tough performance with the Barracuda. But he is he has taken a leap from that. I don't think there's any doubt uh, at at this point. Um, overall, I still see him as a pure offensive specialist at the NHL level, uh, third pairing guy at best. And so uh, the devil's advocate part to your argument, which is, I think, a very good argument that Ryan Merkley should be down with the Barracuda and playing 25 minutes and playing in all situations or at least a ton of power play time, playing a lot of five on five to iron yeah. out his defensive game. Those are all really good arguments. My argument, though, for keeping him perhaps over a Hatika when everybody's healthy is that Merkley provides a different skill set than your presumed five and six defensemen on the Sharks, uh, Shimmick and Vlasic. And you might say that Ryan Merkley, well, he doesn't provide much different, though, than Brent Burns or Eric Carlson, and that's 100% right. And might be part of the reason why Merkley is started the season in AHL. But there could be games, though, where I could see a Vlasic or Simic could be better with the puck mover type uh, with them. That could help their game. Kind of a little bit how the Sharks have... Uh, you know, uh, uh, revitalized or, you know, uh, they've combined uh, Eric Carlson and Jake Middleton into a, into a pairing and where both uh, uh, Carlson helps Middleton with Middleton's challenges with, 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 with you know, puck moving and that sort of thing. And yeah. Middleton covers up for Carlson uh, defensively. And so I can see that maybe maybe working out with, uh, with either a, a Shimmick and Vlasic. And so that might be my argument for keeping uh, Merkley up here. Uh, but I would say, though, by all accounts, I would say if anybody has surprised me uh, uh, of these uh, Barracuda players that have come up, um, it's been the Merkley brothers. <laughs> uh, I've, like I said, I've liked Nick Merkley a lot. I think he's the only guy that really should stay with the Sharks for sure. But I've also liked uh, Ryan Merkley, and I can see an argument over keeping him over Hatika in the on the Sharks roster uh, when all this is cleared up. And I did not see that to begin the uh, by the end of training cap. I did not see uh, Merkley ahead of Hatika, but uh, but I think Merkley has made a good account for himself. Uh, but overall, though, I think you're right, Nick, that he should go back down and play as many minutes as possible because I don't believe that he's going to be handed a third-pairing spot like some people would like uh, over a Shimmick or a Vlasic, and I don't think he should be. Um, and I mentioned that at the top of this, um, that I think Shimmick and Vlasic are still superior overall players, overall defensemen than these guys. Uh, not Again, not specific areas. Uh, I know Vlasic is slower. Uh, I know that uh, Shimmick, well, you know, Shimmick has, has different, uh, I guess, uh, issues. But I think overall, though, they're still sounder NHL players, NHL defensemen than everybody we've talked about here. Yeah, and um, I would like to assume that most Sharks fans have been pleasantly surprised with Mr. Ryan Merkley. And um, 
I don't say that I expect him to go down to the A after the COVID protocol kind of res- uh, finalizes its its chaos it's caused uh, because I don't want him to be on the Sharks. I would love for Ryan Merkley to be on the Sharks. I got into full-fledged debates with former NHLer Kyle McLaren about why I think uh, Ryan Merkley would could easily blossom into a great offensive player for the Sharks. Um, but well, I just pray, think pray that... tell what uh, Kyle's side was of it because Kyle, oh. of course, was a noted defensive defenseman, uh, the antithesis of uh, Ryan Merkley out there. Yeah, he. Um, if I remember correctly, it's again, it's been a minute, but his his biggest thing was um, the Sharks basically need better defensive defensemen and less offensive defensemen. What is what it boiled down to, and um, yeah, his puck movement is is was good. He's just too bad defensively for the Sharks. The Sharks need to focus on playing better defense. I mean, and, that's been the argument against against Merkley that there's always been a question of a little bit like the the Vlasic argument of of the hockey brain versus the obviously the diminishing skating with Merkley. It's can he defend just well enough that you know the offense takes over? Because we don't yeah. need Ryan Merkley to defend like Mark Edward Vlasic in his prime. Olympic class Mark Edward Vlasic. You just need Ryan Merkley to be okay defensively. Yep. You just need him to be the Sharks' uh, third period defense against the Calgary Flames. <laughs> and uh, speaking of that, it's perfect segue into our Sport Logic stat of the week. Um, again, I will continue to bring this up. We're going to bring a Sport Logic stat of the week to you, which will be uh, a how do I say this? It will be accurate as of right now. <laughs> like that's it. After after this Thursday's game, the numbers may have changed. So uh, currently, as of eleven thirty-seven on this beautiful Wednesday evening, uh, the Sharks are fourth best in the NHL at even strength in rush chances allowed per game, and that values at four point eight per game. Um, the three other numbers I'm going to say here are important to note that the lowest value in the NHL is currently at 3.7. The average value is at 6.1 rush chances per game, and the most allowed is at 8.0, which is probably where we would expect the Sharks to be at yeah. last year. Yep, that's um, what I would expect it for sure. Uh, so we saw this, and uh, Shane, you actually alluded to it in your recent article on SanJoseHockeyNow.com, and as one of the keys to the Sharks' success late in that game against Calgary, uh, not only as a team, um, but just they got back to their way of preventing those rush chances for Calgary. And I believe it was uh, Goodbranson who was the most frustrated because of how well the Sharks were not only establishing their forecheck, but doing a great job getting back and shutting down Calgary's rush chances. Um, So the Flames' offense was stymied in the second by... Aiden Hill, who turned into Aiden Brick Wall there for that game. Yep, 18 um, of 19 saved there in the second period. Just absolute bonkers. And I think 12 of those were slot chances, according to Sport Logic as well, um, in that single period. Um, but uh, they couldn't get anything going in the third as well, due to the Sharks flipping the script on them, shutting down most of their chances off of the rush. And getting a lucky bounce. And I wanted to really quick talk about that bounce. Um, Just a quick little tap here because we are 
venturing into over an hour now. Um, there was a high hit on Alexander Barabanov by Zadorov that I felt should have been a penalty because the shoulder made contact with the head. They didn't call the penalty, and the puck bounces off of Zadorov's skate within two minutes where he would have normally been in a penalty box. Um, the shot from Logan Couture actually bounced off of uh, Zadorov's skates into the goal. I thought it was poetic. I just wanted to point that out really quick. Um, but back to our sport logic stat of the week, Shane. What do you what do you make of this this great stat again that we're highlighting about the Sharks team defense? I thought it bounced off uh, Zadorov's stick, but I guess got to watch that again. If, if, if it's oh, it might have been stick or skate. It bounced <laughs> off him. That's all that I gotta, matters. I got to edit, edit my article. So. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll do anyway. some double checking here. Um, I think the the key to what the Sharks did in a third period, and it's a hockey cliche, but they got pucks in deep. And I illustrated it with a couple of gifts, but when you don't get pucks in deep, and that's what happened in the Milan Lucic goal yesterday, um, Tommy Hurdle couldn't get in deep, and the Flames were able to counterattack quickly. And the Flames actually have the very best uh, rush offense team in the league, at least according to Sport Logic and in terms of chances created. So you don't get the puck in deep. Uh, it's a shorter ice for the other team to travel and attack. But if you do get the puck in deep, then that becomes 200 feet that the Flames offense has to go. And 200 feet, not a free and clear 200 feet, but the Sharks are forechecking. The Sharks are making it hard uh, on the Flames. And in my story, I have a couple of uh, nice uh, 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 shots uh, or examples of Nick Merkley, actually, uh, doing some excellent forechecking, helping to stymie, shut down the Flames' uh, rush offense. And so that's what the Sharks were able to get back to in the third period that they failed to do in the second period when the Flames were all over them. And I actually counted at the beginning of the third period all the way to the Couture goal. There were six line changes up to the Couture goal. It was the Hurdle line, Couture, the Weatherby, the Peterson and then, once again, the hurdle line and the couture, they just were rolling lines there. Every line in the beginning of uh, the third period either got the puck below the goal line or they got a shot on Markstrom. And none of that losing it, uh, you know, carrying it and losing it at the blue line and the puck goes the other way or not getting it deep on the dump in. The Sharks were, on, you know, were were to the letter uh, playing it to the game plan in the third period. And it led to, yes, a lucky bounce, but it was luck that they made, luck that they created. Uh, just with, again, sticking with the game plan, getting the puck in deep, and not allowing the, the Flames rush to get started. You know, the best way to stop the rush, don't let it get started, don't turn it over in the neutral zone. Yeah, and um, you talk about them getting a lucky bounce. There's a, a common phrase in baseball, manufacture runs. The Sharks manufactured a goal. So um, great on them for continuing to stick to their game plan and, and great on them for giving us a stat to talk about on being the fourth best in the NHL uh, on rush chance allowed at even strength. So uh, that was our Sport Logic stat of the week. 
And I believe that pretty much is going to wrap it up for our Sharks Talk. Now, Shane, you have a great, great interview coming up right now with, with Russ Cohen. And uh, I'm going to let everyone get in on that. But first, a quick shout out and a thank you to our sponsor for this week, DraftKings. The NHL season is underway in DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer to celebrate the greatest sport on ice. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. That's right. If it's not a 0-0 game, you're going to win. Doesn't matter if it's a one-time clapper from Timo Meyer or a Pavelski-esque deflection. However the boys light the lamp, you're going to win. And don't worry, if Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. It's really simple, honestly. We've, we've talked about it plenty of times on this podcast, and I'll, I'll spell it out for you again. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code THPN, throw down $1 on any NHL game, and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. This week, one puck in the net, Net you a big win with promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And here's our interview, or should I say, Shang's interview with Russ Cohn. And joining Shang on the podcast today is a sports analysis connoisseur whose work can be found everywhere. I literally am not even exaggerating that. This man is all over the sports map. He's been most famous for his phenomenal prospects coverage for elite prospects on EP Rinkside. But his resume is nothing short of spectacular and doesn't stop there. He's also a regular contributor for Locked On Flyers, so all the Martin Jones fans, go make sure you listen to him there, as well as a frequent collaborator with SiriusXM NHL Network Radio. On top of that, he's also a co-host of the Off The Post radio podcast, one that Shang just recently joined him on, so make sure you go listen to that episode as well. And as if that wasn't impressive enough, Russ also founded Sportsology, which provides his elite level of analysis across pretty much every major sport, including professional wrestling. Sharks fans, we bring to you Russ Cohen. Shang, take it away. All right, Russ, I've got a bone to pick with you. Last Sunday... I appeared on your Off the Post podcast with Anthony and Mike, and you asked me what I thought about San Jose's decision to send William Eklund back to Sweden. And you said I did a good job of not overhyping William, though I got close. What's that supposed to mean? What that means is a lot of times folks in the media, like us, will see a prospect and say, you know, he looks really good. He should stay. 
and not really thinking what might this prospect look like, you know, 60 games in down the road. So I get it, you know, prospects when they, when they start off a season like this and they play in the preseason and they sort of come in hot, there's always this thing where they look good. Right. But very few of them ever like remain. And, and the reason is, is because it's hard for them to maintain everything they have to do by playing at this next level. So I felt like you could have hyped him a little more because he looked good, but apparently now you're going to overhype him. So go ahead and feel free. <laughs> hey, no, no, no. I just wanted to hear because uh, we didn't get into that uh, in that podcast. Uh, and if you haven't listened to that podcast yet, a great podcast at a great time talking with Russ, Anthony, and Mike. Uh, but we didn't get uh, deep into Willie Mecklen, which is why I wanted to have you on now. And so, okay, so Russ, uh, you are firmly in the camp of the Sharks did the right thing, which is why I, I want to have you on. I want to have this back and forth with you. And the first mm-hmm. part I want to focus on is the short-term part of it. And I know that the long-term part is probably the more interesting debate, but let's get the short-term out of the way. I okay. think that William Eklund was clear-cut one of the top nine San Jose Sharks forwards this year, not counting the preseason, just a regular season. And, of course, his play wasn't perfect. He made mistakes in a neutral zone. Uh, he was bodied off pucks at times. So all that is, you know, is, is included. But was he one of the best nine Sharks for, forwards? Uh, I believe that he was a clear-cut top nine guy. Do you dispute that? I don't dispute that, but I ask you, Top nine center or top nine winger? Top nine winger. He didn't play center at all with the Sharks. Right. So then what do you want him to be in the future? Do you want him to be a winger or do you want him to be a center? I think that's something that he could figure out. I thought it was a good question because uh, he uh, he did play center uh, in Sweden and and he is the Sharks drafted him uh, with the intention. They've said that they do want him to play center, and that is a good question that I need to track back on if he's going to go back to your Garden and play center. But correct, fair but fair point on that though. Okay, so if you want him to be in the center, but that's part of the long term argument, but. This year, though, from what you saw, was he a top-nine guy for, okay, a Sharks team that, granted, lacks in skill depth up front. You know, this, they aren't the Colorado Avalanche. They aren't the St. Louis Blues. So we, we get that. But he made this version of the Sharks better, and they just sent him away. Well, okay. But I look at it and I say, yeah, the hockey IQ is really good. So that's always going to make a, a prospect of his age look better. The skating's really good. You know, he, he's been very well-schooled in, in playing hockey, but he only had eight shots on goal. Like, this is a guy that's used to taking more shots than that, used to scoring more goals. Even when he took a few face-offs, he was at 37.5%. Like, you want him to be better than that, and you want him to be physically stronger. Like, this is a guy that you want to have on your top line in a year or two. And so another year of development, another World Juniors, all those things will help him, and then maybe another world championship uh, will help all those things to get to that point. But if you bring him in now as a third liner, yes, there's always that chance he can work his way up, but then there's always that chance he can turn into Dylan Cousins in Buffalo where he's now stuck in the mud and you don't know what to do with him. Yeah, and okay, so just to clarify, he's been playing top six minutes uh, with the top two lines, but, and you're right, they were very sheltered minutes, not a lot yes. of the D zone starts, and they were trying to give him a lot of power play. They were trying to, you know, 
put the runway for him to succeed, which is what they, they should be doing. Uh, but that's all a fair point that those are some of his uh, weaknesses that uh, you mentioned there. But okay, so then, why do you think then that this is the right move for the Sharks? Well, because again, I think the Sharks, if you, if you got them to admit it, know that there isn't just an outside chance of making the playoffs, right? So based on that, where is he going to develop better? He's going to be more comfortable at home. He already has played in, in Jew Garden before, so there's a familiarity. He will get top line everything there. He will get top power play. He will be a mentor to some of the other young players. There's some draft eligibles there. And then, like I said, they will have no problem letting him go to the World Juniors. There won't be a disruption in, in the Sharks season either for when the World Juniors happens. So that's a, you know, it's another factor. If William Eklund, for some reason, is, is like, you know, I don't know, a little more than a half a point a game, and they decide they need him in the lineup. And, this is, and trust me, the Sharks are not this team. But, but teams will do it and say, hey, we don't want him to go to the World Juniors. We need him. And so it's like, is that really the best thing for him? No, you want him to be on that stage with his peer group. You want him to dominate one more time with his peer group so then you're sure when he comes in the summer, he is ready. And he, he knows what it takes now. Like the Sharks did the right thing. They, they gave him his nine games. He had, you know, he wet his whistle. He knows exactly what it's like. And he knows exactly what he needs to work on. I'm sure they gave him a list of things to work on. And they'll call a couple times during the year. And this is the best thing for him because he's at a place he really can develop. Now, a good argument for you against me is if he were a player that were maybe going to the KHL and it was kind of one of those not well-funded teams, then you might make a good point where it's like, all right, you know what? Maybe he shouldn't be going back. But then, you know, that's it's not the case. So... It's just hyperbole. Well, is is it so cut and dry though that he couldn't develop with the Sharks and get better as the season went on? You know, he is a hockey IQ guy. He's not going to get that much stronger this season, uh, just in season kind of. You know, a lot of that work will be over the summer, right? And so he's going to survive by his hockey IQ, and he had been surviving, and in some cases thriving with the Sharks, and so couldn't have that continued with the Sharks and he contributes at, you know, say, a, you know, uh, half a point pace, yeah, something like that. And he, and he develops that way. And he learns that way. You know, there are examples of guys who did that. I know physically different guys, like guys like Patrick Marlowe obviously came out and he you know, played sheltered minutes and scored about 30 mm -hmm. points in his first year. And there's other guys like that who kind of slogged through the season. They didn't flourish in their first season, but they were perfectly fine in the long run. You never know when a prospect's going to hit a wall, no matter what their pedigree is. And... And so that's the hardest thing to predict. So let's just say, for argument's sake, you're at game, I don't know, like 34. Because I believe if you're at like 35 games, that's another mark where um, it becomes contractual, where you, you not only burn that, you burn that first year no matter what. So the Sharks are probably not thinking about that first, but in a cap era, you have to think about, is it worth it to burn a year of him right now when we're going to have like 40% of what William Eklund's going to be. Because like you said it, you actually stated it really well. There are nights when prospects are just surviving and doing less thriving. And and that's the the hard part of it. That's the, the juggling that has to happen. And so 
I do believe he would get a little better at the NHL level. But also, if he gets creamed a couple times and he starts missing games, then you're taking away his development. You got to admit, the Swedish Elite League, there's less chance of him having that happen too while he, you know, is not at his man strength yet. Sure, sure. And let's uh, get uh, to the long term a little bit. And uh, just for everybody listening, uh, Russ is at a Flyers game right now. He's uh, doing us the favor of talking right before warm-up. So that's what you're hearing behind us. But uh, anyway, focusing on the long term then, and this is where I guess the crux of the argument is. I mean, short term, we agree that he was a top nine forward. Um, we can uh, disagree on maybe what the right place wasn't for this specific year, but right. we do agree that, you know, for all his shortcomings, that he was a good enough player for the NHL right now. Um, but uh, long term, then, what is your argument for sending him there? And you've already alluded to it, but. Well, I mean, so, so long term, I think he could be a, a 70 point guy in the NHL. I think he's a guaranteed second line center but a first-line winger and possibly a first-line center. So depending on how this season goes and maybe even just a little time in the AHL, if you can turn him into a first-line center, that changes a lot of things because he doesn't have to start out as a first-line center with the Sharks because they already have that. So then that sort of gives him that, that room to grow. So you're looking at like 70 points. You're looking at a, a guy who could score 15 to 18 goals and his couple – first couple of years to over 20 as he's moving on and you're looking at a guy who can play both ends of the ice so that's what i'm looking at long term and i need that more long term and again right now with the way the cap is and all the things that are going to happen to them when maybe Evander Kane comes back and we talk about dead cap space and all these things i think the whole equation just seems like it's better to send him back to me for the organization. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, there is no kind of roadmap, though, right, in terms of no. what a player needs to get to where you want him to go, right? I mean, there are players who, who stay here and it works out. There are players that need that extra year. I mean, that's, that's sort of, I guess, what I'm getting at, that I feel like the Sharks made a calculation towards, okay, let's be safe, let's be conservative, and, hey, let's not burn that year off the ELC, so we, we can't, you know, uh, forget that. But there is no kind of roadmap. No, there's no roadmap. But I'll tell you, having enough conversations with Tim Burke and other people with the Sharks, that they do like to overmarinate. And if you think about it, part of the reason the Sharks are doing well now is because they've been able to go and get good free agents. They've been able to develop prospects and get them to the NHL. And part of that development has been leave them in, in, in juniors, leave them in in college a little bit longer let's really make sure and you know what it's paid off for them most of the time and one uh, kind of uh, uh, I guess all, uh, all altern- or alternative solution I wonder why it wasn't explored more what about sending him to the AHL and letting him you know get used to the, the smaller ice there and yeah there are guys who are going to you know, be going after him there that's true but still though you know the AHL is closer to the NHL than your garden obviously and William is good enough and close enough that you could see him really helping at the end of the season he could I think the issue is and you could do the digging on this a lot of times these players when they're elite players have 
a clause where they can go back to, you know, to the SHL or go back to the KHL like Bradsoff did with the Rangers two years ago. A lot of times those clauses exist. Like, hey, if you don't make the NHL team, you could come back here. It's written in the contract. That may be the case. So if he were to choose between the AHL or the SHL, he's going to choose the SHL every time. Well, in this case, so I can tell you that uh, speaking with his agent, that I, I believe that that's actually where they would have preferred that they that they sent him to the AHL. Okay. Um, well, yeah. that's an interesting thing. But, you know, the agent doesn't run the team. The team does. And that's where... You know, that's, that's where the, the agent has to just sort of acquiesce and say, okay, I know this organization has the best interest at heart for this player, so I'm going to hang back and, and support it. But I get it. Hey, that's what the agent wants. Then, you know, but again, a lot of times the agents do, do push the envelope as far as maybe where that player should be. And you know what? We don't know how he would do in the NHL. The other thing, sure. I think he, would, I think he would do well. Don't get me wrong. I don't think there'd be a problem. But again, there's a lot of career guys in the AHL that are gonna cheap shot him. Do you want that to happen to him? That's you know, you have to ask yourself that question too. Well, I wonder on on this track though, and you know, let's close off soon because I know uh, the uh, warm ups are about to start. But you know, David Pasternak is one guy I was looking up. And he's a guy that in his in his uh, year right after his draft, he was drafted in uh, 2014, I believe. And yeah. he came right in, and he started off actually in the AHL, and he, did. he didn't he didn't really. He didn't really uh, start up with the Bruins. He you know, started out, had a cup of coffee first couple of months. and But then by the end of the season, he was a regular and he was contributing. And he's a guy that, you know, that's an example of that working. And that guy, you know, acclimating at a lower at a lower North American level and getting used to the smaller ice and that sort of he, thing. He was stronger physically than what William Eklund is right now. Because um, when Pasternak was young, was playing on those first couple of games, he was here in Philly. And he already was looking close to an NHLer. Eklund, you know, the body's not quite there. And so, yes, he could get by with that. But I just feel like Pasternak at that point was better built to play in the NHL that way. Yeah, yeah. And I could definitely see what you're saying there on that on that end in terms of the body. But I guess the argument with William, and I guess the reason why I sort of keep thinking that he would have been okay here is just that Eklund's hockey mind is really a cut above and so yes it is yeah and so you know body or not you know being there and yes granted you know i don't the comparison is a tough one because eklund is not patrick kane but you know in terms of that 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 body though and and some of that hockey mind you know could he have stayed and had a not that kind of impact obviously but still just been a solid contributor to a sharks team that needs all the help they can get and he could benefit from that experience being on a team that's trying to win and trying to pull on the same rope and everything we've heard about the sharks room this year it's been a positive room and a good experience for a, a younger player i don't know it just seems like an opportunity lost in some or possibly lost we just we just don't know i guess yeah i i wouldn't look at it as possibly lost i i would look at it as saying they're playing it safe and right now, I think the more the Sharks play it safe, the better it'll pay off in the future. 
because again, they are going to have cap problems for the next couple of years. And there is going to be a point where they need to count on guys like William Eklund if they are going to get back to being a successful team. So, you know, they have this little bit of time to play with, and I, I get why they did it. And I guess uh, to close off uh, finally, um, you know, for, for guys you've seen like William who have come here, and, you know, William was in an interesting place where he didn't dominate, obviously. He didn't, he didn't do anything where it was like he had to stay here. But he also showed, you know, enough that you know it was it was a very interesting decision in the end. Then that's got to be tough for him because he feels like he deserved it. So anyway, the question to you is: in cases in the past where you've seen like this, you know, how does a guy go back and kind of recover? How have guys who have had to go back like this? How have they done? And and what have they what have they had to do to kind of get themselves back and focused? I mean, there, there's no doubt some guys take longer than others. But most of these guys understand that I may not make the team. Like, they get that. And someone like Eklund, who is mentally mature, which not everybody is at the age of 18 in the NHL, you know that as well as I do, as a prospect, he will go back there and he will, I guarantee you, in a week or a little more, we'll start to see some really good numbers. He'll start to get settled back in there, get into that routine, and be a more of a force than he could be in the NHL. So I don't I don't expect any problems from William Eklund at all on that front. And actually, I would say within the last four or five years, with most prospects, they really understand how this whole game works as far as if I don't make it, I'm going to get sent back somewhere and I get it and I'm just going to have to come back better. Hockey players, if you give them a challenge, they usually – meet it and i think will meet the all right russ well hey i appreciate the time here uh enjoy the game and thanks for uh, kind of uh, doing this uh, last minute with us anytime shank thanks big thank you to russ for joining us or specifically shang i should say for an interview about william meckland and giving us his uh giving us his thoughts on it and you know, just the, the good back and forth there between Shang and, and, and him was just great to listen to, especially for me. Um, I wasn't there, so I got to listen to it much like you all did. Um, thank you again, everyone, for listening. On, honestly, we, we couldn't do this without you, all, all the listeners that are that are chiming in and everyone commenting and everyone letting us know what they do and don't like. We appreciate all of that. Be sure if you have a free time, if you're using Apple Podcasts, feel free to give us a rate, review it, let us know what you think. Um, it goes to support us. We really appreciate it. Um, and thank you all again for tuning into this week's episode of the San Jose Hockey Now podcast. Make sure you all stay safe, take care of yourselves, and stay hydrated.